0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring, boring,
1: boring. By okay, one thing the game
2: needs is more people like you, you, you. Still have bro-man run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. Daniel Bard. Steve Aoki. Here's Saul This is Brock Holtz. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball. Baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball
1: Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, baseball isn't boring, and I know that uh, that this is being screamed and yelled from coast to coast, from top to bottom of this great country and and beyond, and the entire world. But I know this because officially, officially, our West Coast slash Hollywood baseballs and board correspondent is with us, Nate Cordry. Nate, how are you?
2: Thank you, Rob. uh, I'm really grateful to be uh, anointed your West Coast Hollywood correspondent. Um, I think we're still negotiating the deal I think there was some issue with the money, but we're going to figure that out. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to be a real, real asset to you because I know no one, uh, but I love baseball. So I think it's going to work out.
1: I, I feel like if anyone can just randomly go on television movie sets and hand out t shirts, it's you. And by the way, if we ask, yes, is that agreed? Yes.
2: Uh, again, that's gonna need to be negotiated. Sure, but, all right. Uh, well, here's here's the thing that's gonna put it all
1: over the top, Nate. Ready? Okay. A koozie. A wow. Baseball isn't boring. Koozie. <laughs> I mean, you've been in some high leverage conversations, negotiations, but has anyone tried to put it over the top of the baseball isn't boring koozie?
2: No, never, never. Uh, I I think people want to hold on to their pride. Uh, and they don't fall to the the universe of the of the the koozie. it's a different it's sort of like the um like uh kind of like the two year like community college like but you're studying like general studies you're just trying to figure out how to like put one foot in front of the other, you know what I mean, but you do look you beverages need to be kept cold
1: i mean it's this this i mean this cuts to the chase I could offer you cars and I could offer you um trailers and i could offer you all kinds of things but this just this just do something that's actually practical keeping your I, your beverage cold or hot
2: this has been an issue with me i'm always you know i'm putting my putting my drinks in the microwave in the oven i don't know why i do it i just keep on making this mistake but the koozie is going to put me over the edge so i appreciate your commitment thank you rob
1: all right well here i our relationships already off on a good foot uh <laughs> but Nate, i really appreciate it, man like you clearly you know i you're you're omnipresent on on twitter on social media with all the all the beat writers know you um and obviously a lot of people know you from all your fine work doing all the things that you've done tv and movies and going back to the daily show going back to colby sawyer going back to weymouth high i mean come on let's go i've by the way this this power rank this power rank i i want to power rank the the your your baseballs and boring moments at weymouth in a second Right. It's Weymouth. right? I'm I'm not mixing up high schools.
2: No, no, it's not Wayland. It's Weymouth. Yeah, yeah, That's Wayland. the usual mistake. Okay.
1: So um, but I really appreciate you you jumping on for this cause uh in and I just like I just appreciate talking with you because I, I love on you on social media. We've been back and forth on social media a little bit. But I just I knew that I would love talking baseball with you. You're sitting there with the Red Sox jersey on. You have the <laughs> Fenway Park sign in the back. Um, all of that. So um, I know that you love this game. I know that you love sports. I know that you love Boston sports. And, but, you know, being out there and uh, wherever, wherever it is, wherever a Hollywood correspondent lives, you are there spreading the word. And, and so that has not left you from the time that you left Weymouth High.
2: It's a strange thing. Um leaving uh leaving home to you know a lot of people leave home to go to school but some some people return to their roots and and find work but um I've after college I moved to New York I lived in New York for six years and then moved to Los Angeles after that and I've been here ever since and it's strange you find um like anytime you move, you find your community. But Mike, a lot of my community has been based around East Coast people. Um, there's just a different dynamic between um, East Coast and West Coast and Midwest folks. Um, there's a sarcasm. There's a there, there's a biting wit. There's um, self-deprecation. Some more darkness, I think, behind the comedy. If you're an East Coaster, specifically if you're a New Englander. Um, and I don't know if that's if if that comes from this is a long debated point, if it comes from if it's just the weather or if it's sort of like this New England puritanical universe that still exists in New England. Sure. You know, sure. um, the pilgrims are long gone, but all this stuff gets passed down from generation to generation. So there's this like strict parochial sort of behavior, I think. And you're drawn to other people who've who've grown up in those environments. Um so I have a lot of friends. I've I have a wonderful community of friends out here. Um who are a lot of them are New Englanders. And we really enjoy going to Dodger games. Dodger Stadium is great. Dodger yeah. Stadium is a oh, blast. So good. It's great. Um, but I've never uh I don't love the Dodgers. I, I root for them. I watch them on on uh whatever, uh Sportsnet, whatever they are on. Um but my I don't have a, a a passionate love for them or any team out here, and it's always strange i had a I was talking to a friend I remember having this conversation with a friend who was from Detroit, and they became a huge clipper fan, and they're like they love the clippers and they've like they don't follow any of the they don't follow the pistons i was like well, how how is that possible? How can you abandon <laughs> which is totally puritanical like <laughs> yeah. Root for whatever team you fucking want. You know, <laughs> there are no rules. But I was born to be like, you know, oh, you're going to, you're going to root for the, uh, the Phillies now. How huh? you think you're better than me? That's sort of like the New England, you know, <laughs> point of view. So I carry that deep and deep in my, in my soul.
1: So when you go, when you go to the Dodgers game, I always find this interesting. You know, it's like, it's different everywhere. Like it is so different everywhere in baseball. Um, we're seeing it now you know, the, as the World Series is sort of unfolding at Citizens Bank Park, like, talk about release the Philly. I mean, release the Philly and all these people. You went from, like, I looked at clips from the middle of the year, it was half full, apathetic. And now it's like, oh, we're Philly and we do this and we do that, which they should. It's just like with Fenway. like And, and, and Nate, I mean, you grew up going to Fenway. And I, so I guess the question I have is having sort of been on both sides of that world, when you go to the Dodgers games, like the, the cliche is, I'll oh, show up late, leave early. But it, it is that, A, annoying, like anything about it annoying because you want it to be like Fenway, or is it just different?
2: It's just different. I think when I first showed up, I had this – I had my arms crossed, and I said, this isn't Fenway. This isn't Fenway. There are no troughs. Um in the men's bathroom. That's the one thing that I miss. I really think it's a, it's a shame. I, mean, who, I don't know where. Who doesn't? Where, mean, are where are the troughs now? are they at the New England Sports Museum? <laughs> they, they, you know what? I
1: think they actually are. No. I think they actually are. So two things I think are there that are of our no. The troughs, I think, are there. And I gave Pedroia gave me the screw to his foot. And I said, well, what do I do with this? What the hell? No, so I gave it to them. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. So, all the great things that make New England sports what they are, troughs and uh, and and things that hold bones together.
2: <laughs> not my Pedroia signed jerseys. Wow. Whoa, is that, it? Well, let me 20? ask you this.
1: Let me, all right, for, I'll let you finish your thought first. I got I to gotta... Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there is, there's definitely uh, – when I first came here, because I had this sort of – and I lived in New York for a long time. I never was a fan of New York teams, but I I I identified with my experience in New York was incredible, and I sort of like found myself in New York. Um, and so coming out here is just a completely different way of life. Um, but they always get compared New York and LA because they have similar they are similar bases of entertainment, but they're just completely different experiences. And so I, I you know picked on Dodger fans and sort of crossed my arms and said, "This is bullshit. This is you know." I can't believe it's seventy-two degrees. We, are, you know, this is miserable. The sun is beautiful. I'm staring at a beautiful mountain range, um, uh, but I, now I just like accept that Dodger fans are different because their lives are different. I, the main issue, I think, and I, maybe I'm giving them too much of a, a too much credit, but public transportation is a real problem here. There is no there is there there's a bus system. But there is no underground. There is a subway, but no one takes it, and mm-hmm. it has like ten stops. And there is no above ground trolley that goes to uh, Dodger Stadium. So it's buses, and the bus system is is rough. You can't really count on. It, so you have to drive, and it's a driving city. You know, there weren't freeways in the '50s and '60s, but they, all the this money from Detroit flooded into los angeles to like the city council like let's not build a subway let's build freeways so we can sell cars <laughs> so there are freeways everywhere so the car community it's really hard you have to leave really early to be traffic everyone is driving i don't know what the percentage of fenway um uh what the crowd is like what the yeah percentage well, of- i mean
1: it's honestly just because of you know how it is just because of parking this is scaring away people from i mean they would like to drive but you know the one thing Dodger Stadium has a lot more of than Fenway is parking. But anyway, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, so it's a it's a different scene.
2: Yeah, completely different scene. I, I I don't pick on them as much as I did when I first started here. I just I'm, I guess I'm getting soft, but that happens when you live in California for 16 years. Ah, oh,
1: no, come on, come on. No, I know that I know that that you're there. Like, Vol, well, let me take you back to when when the Red Sox played
2: the Dodgers. Did you go to any of those games? I did. I was lucky enough to go to the. You mean the World Series? Yeah, yeah, the World Series. Yeah, I was able to go to the clinching game. Um, it was so, amazing.
1: Yeah, so like, so this is the ultimate, right? This is the ultimate. Like, you've gone from oh, it's it's seventy five. I I can't deal with you fans, you Dodger fans. You're so bad. But now. Obviously, the Dodger fans are feeling themselves, and we're real fans, and we're 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 in it as much as you are. But you're there, and you get to the last pitch. Chris Sale strikes out Machado, and you're like, "Yeah, man, screw you, screw you, in your and your Dodger ways."
2: I, uh, uh, inaccurate. <laughs> um did not did not tell anyone you know screw, that, that you. Come out of your mouth,
1: screw you and you dodged your face
2: <laughs> i did not none of those things were screened. <laughs> but i appreciate your you uh making that assumption about me and what i would do in that situation <laughs> right talking- now uh you're watching me cycle through my phone because i have i have a video um of of that very moment of the of um the the final pitch, yes, which I believe was October. It doesn't matter anyway. You asked me a question, uh, and my answer is this: it, it that was Game Five, right? Game, Did they win yeah. it in five? Yeah, four or five? Five.
1: It was it was I believe <laughs> yes, it was five. Yeah, because they would return. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was three. Yeah, we were up three one, so we walked into that place like it was already a bit of a haunted house like they had a look in their eyes like it's it's kind of over and we had of course you remember a very enthusiastic first inning um and the collective sort of the collective shoulders of the entire stadium just kind of like it, they weren't in it they right. weren't in it and i don't and i don't think it was because they're their passive fans. I think they they already knew. Um, and I forget who they were pitching, but it wasn't Kershaw. Um, though that probably wouldn't have helped them, considering back then his playoff woes were, were no, well documented. They,
1: it was the – was it um, the game before – man, I have a terrible memory of this – but Rich Hill, obviously Rich Hill game when they took him out. Yeah you know which by the way rich hill's on the podcast tomorrow he's are he, you you're the you're the west coast hollywood correspondent rich hill on breath his breaking news nate rich hill has agreed every single week to do players only thursday so rich hill is basically taking over the
2: podcast
1: wow is he
2: interviewing is it just him? Yeah, hand and I'll be there, there to sort of
1: guide. But the idea is and the hope is, and again, maybe by the time people are listening, this has already been out. I don't know. But um, so he brings on somebody. And, you know, I love I told him this. I said, I can interview you like that's fine. But I'd rather you just chop it up with somebody who lives the same life. And I think this one, he's trying to get David Freeze. To basically, huh. the, the topic would be what it's like to be awesome at the biggest time, you know? Yeah, yeah. What does that feel like? How does that change your career? Well, and, and also, like, how do you function, right? I mean, how do you function in that way? But anyway, I want to come back to um, – so when the Red So – being uh, being there covering it, you see the people, you see the Red Sox fans when, when it's over sort of congregate toward the dugout, like, yes, yeah, we're the best. See, like we're now we're like we can't run on the field. Like if they have a moat at Dodger Stadium. It's so weird, you know. It's like the, the 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 area you can't get near. But yes, I don't know if you were one of those people, that, or you just said you just took off and so went to the Hollywood Hills to reflect
2: on. No, on <laughs> I we did not rush uh, down to the um uh to the behind the Red Sox dugout. We were on that. We were behind their dugout, but probably. I don't know, like 20, 20 rows, 25 rows back. We were in the sort of loge um, over under the overhang from the first deck. Um, it was my wife and I and my brother and my mother and her wife who were out here visiting. Um, so there was one, two, there was five of us and we got five seats together. Um, but we just, we you know we, we stayed there for probably a half hour and watched them roll out the stage and the, the truck was driven on, who was uh, – who? Steve Pierce, did he win the – Yeah, yeah, good, yeah, yeah.
1: Steve Pierce. Uh,
2: and uh, and just watched them come out and celebrate and seeing the trophy and handing the trophy over to John Henry. and and I, So we watched all of that. We didn't, like, rush down and – But being there out. is cool,
1: right? I mean, it's a it's – a, it, it was – Yeah.
2: It was incredible. I would never been to a clinching game before. I think the biggest game that I had been to before was – um was game 3 of the 2004 ALCS when the Red Sox lost 19 to 8. Oh, <laughs> and, really? Uh Hideki Matsui hit a ball that still hasn't landed. What yet. a shitty
1: game to go to. Holy mackerel.
2: Oh my god. I was working at the time. I was I was rehearsing a play in New York, a, a, a tour of a play. And I think that game. The only reason I was there because I think that game was on a Monday, and so I had a day off. Mondays are, are dark in the theater, and so I dr- I took a train or I drove to Boston. I took my dad. I got tickets. We went. We were sitting way up in the right field grandstand. I remember the cow sills came out to start the game and sang. Some song about hair because Johnny Damon had long hair and the the fucking national media could not get over that a ball player had long hair. Um and we're like, who the what the fuck are the cowsills doing? here singing hair. What the fuck? Some irrelevant folk band. You
1: get, it's like, you're, down, you're down 2-0 and you're you're losing yeah. 10-0. What's going on? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Bring out James Taylor at least. Carly Simon, someone. Um and that we left in the, I think the top of the eighth. I, I can't believe we lasted that long. I know, and honestly. we we got to the car. We got into the car. We turned the ignition on. And the radio came up. And Castiglione, it, it was just as the game ended. And Castiglione was like, and that'll wrap it up. This game has mercifully come to an end. The Red Sox lose 19 to 8. We'll be back at the Shaws and Star Mar- Market after whatever post game show. Don't drive off Domestic River Bridge. And uh, that was so bleak. I think I took a train home that night right. to get to go, to go to work the next day. Um, it was a tough. But uh, you know what? It actually it all worked out a few days later. I don't know if you. Remember yeah, that.
1: yeah, history would suggest that it did work out a few days later. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, so you know, before I forget, you had mentioned your Pedroia jersey, and and um, I always find this question fascinating. Where you know you live in a world where you know a lot of people you work with a lot of people I would love to meet I would love just to interact with and every and I sure I'm sure I work and i am around a lot of people that you would love to meet right correct and so um, it's so weird how you know I can see these players and like it's for me it's all about business it's the same thing we do like it's all about business because like, I see and this is my job and and um, but but then you get outside that world. And you're like, oh my goodness! Like, I like in my thing, my which I default to, and this is a terrible one, which is I I met <laughs> Shannon Elizabeth right after American Pie, right? So like, I literally like for a guy who was interviewing everybody, you know, whoever it didn't matter. I couldn't speak, you know, like, uh, uh, hi, yeah, I, excellent <laughs> job. yeah. And she was dating a guy who was just in the perfect storm. And, you know, and, yeah. So anyway, but so I don't know if there's an athlete that you got a chance to meet that's along those lines.
2: You know, I, 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 uh, it's an interesting thing. It, it's a strange thing uh to, we both have, that's a, that's a really interesting question because I'm, ass, I'm assuming you, you, you. You were drawn to this job because, in your soul, you you love sport. And oh my! God. If, if you could
1: tell me, Nate, if you could tell me, like I would be on the Nessun set on a regular, ba- a semi-regular basis, chopping it up with Jim Rice, like, or 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 how about this? Like one time, taking a private jet with Jerry Remy. I mean, that those were my guys. That was my team. That was the the '78 Red Sox. That was my first team. But yeah, anyway,
2: sorry. Keeping it's a on. strange thing. You find yourself you find yourself um, as a uh dare I say it, a peer. Mm-hmm. Um, the wall completely breaks down. You you have this this idolization of these people who you've who you've ad, ad admired, and all of a sudden they're sitting next to you and you guys are you're doing the same thing. I've I have this all I've been so lucky in my knock on wood and my career to cross paths with people I really admire. And it happened yesterday. Um, I was sitting in a writer's room, um, uh, rehearsing for a show that I'm working on next week. And the people on either side of me, I, I admire really greatly. And I get to watch them work and create. And I'm, I was their peer for a little bit. And I'll, Do and I'll be i You name one name.
1: Not, you're not name dropping.
2: You're not. It's, I hate. The only reason that I can't, and I'll tell you after the podcast is because it's sort of, um, it's a semi-secret. The, 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 oh. the, the production is semi-secretive. Okay, um, I like it. I, that,
1: that spices it up even more. Is well? It's, go, okay, so in, in, is there is there a time, another time, that you looked up next to? Like I said, like I would be on a plane with, and I was on a plane with Jerry Remy for two hours, and we were talking about Ralph Houck. <laughs> it's like, and so I don't know, like if you have. If, if you had that yes. sort of thing. Okay.
2: Yeah. The answer is yes. A thousand times. Yeah. A thousand times. I, I started at the daily show. I was, I'm in, you know, I was, that was my first big job and I was in joke meetings with John Stewart mm. trying to figure out a joke, trying to break down a joke. It's, it's, it's math trying to figure out the math. So the joke works working with like t- doing bits with Matthew Perry, um, during Studio 16, which was a show I did, an NBC show, with, that brought me out to Los Angeles 16 years ago. Um, uh, uh, last year, I, I had the um, the great fortune of being on set for, you know, 10 hours with uh, Sean Penn and Julia Roberts and me. The three of us were, were in two scenes together. That's pretty good. And between takes, we you know, they were telling stories. And Sean Penn was telling about was talking about you know Marlon and how Marlon idolized the real actor that Marlon was obsessed with and my fucking I'm like holy fucking shit where where are we Brando stories holy (laughs) fuck it's like Paul Muni Brando like Paul Muni was the actor that Brando idolized the most he put Paul Muni above everyone else I was like yeah yeah okay go ahead what else what else um so that happens. Uh, that that is a, a strange, really strange part. So of this so,
1: so so to flip that, what, has there ever been an interactive with an athlete, interaction with an athlete where you felt sort of like because that's that's obviously more of a hit and run sort of thing unless you're Brian, hanging at the house.
2: The GM, uh, uh, maybe I guess I'm not sure if it's his official title, but Brian Howran. Brian Howran. Oh, yeah. yeah he's, he's from, he from Weymouth. He's yeah. from Weymouth, and he graduated. I um, oh, mean, they didn't graduate together, but they both worked at Caldor. Remember Caldor? Sure. Um, he and my brother worked at the same Caldor on, I think, Route 18 in Weymouth in you know 1985 yeah. six, and they graduated high school at the same time, and so they they stayed in touch like vaguely over the years, um, and we were home one time. I was doing a baseball road trip with my dad, which I've done a couple times. That's awesome! And we finished in Boston, of course. And my brother reached out to Brian and said, "Hey, we're we're all in Boston. We're going to go to the game." And Brian was like, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fully set you up." And I thought, okay. And we didn't tell my dad. And we got there like an hour before the game, and Brian met us. And took us into the players' entrance, into into the clubhouse, and my dad was like, "Where are we?" Go-? He's like, "Where are we going? We can't go in here." I was like, "No, it's all right, Dad. It's Brian. You know, runs the team." And we walk past the security guys from Quincy. And he's giving us shit because we're from Weymouth. And all of a sudden, the door opens, and we're in the fucking clubhouse. And we're walking by, <clears throat> and Ortiz is at the end, like. Polishing his bats, and I was like, "Holy shit, Ortiz is doing some real Ortiz stuff at the other end of this room." Oh my god! We walk in; he walks us straight into Tito's office. And because I was such a psycho Red Sox fan, I knew he and Pedro played cribbage. Yeah. And cribbage is a game that I used to play with my dad and my grandfather. And so I sent him like this beautiful cribbage board uh, out of nowhere. Just a psycho fan, like. Tito Francona, Fenway Park, Boston, Massachusetts, wrote a little note. He called me, left a message saying, "Oh, thank you so much. Uh, um, me and Pete are going to use it today. I really appreciate. It. You know, I'm glad you're such a fan. Thanks for doing it." And so I walked in. He's like, "Oh, you're the you're the you're the you're the maniac who sent me a courage <laughs> board." I shook his hand. My dad is just like, "Fuck," it. he's stunned. He's like, "What am What am I doing?" And then Brian's like, do you know Rob? And he's like, oh my God, yeah, of course. You're from uh, Hot Tub Time Machine. We watched Hot Tub Time Machine on the bus ride from Fort Myers to Jupiter, wherever the fuck, yeah, in, yeah. during spring training. He's like, get Petey in here. Petey loves that movie. In comes Pedroya. Holy shit, it's Lou, which is my brother's character yeah, in Hot Tub right, Time. Right. It's fucking Lou, go get wake, get wake, holy shit fucking Lou, fu- every word out of his mouth was fucking, fucking Lou, fucking Lou's here, holy fucking shit, Lou I fucking love that movie, and my brother's like, oh my god, Padre shaking my hand in comes Wakefield, who's pitching in like 45 minutes, he's got a sleeveless t-shirt on, he's like, hey man, how you doing Hey Lou all right he was like so chill and laid back and just like the <laughs> fucking greatest guy and again, my father's head is spinning like in the exorcist <laughs> and then he takes us out onto the field down the tunnel from the clubhouse into the uh uh the dugout, into the dugout yeah. onto the field uh so I had a moment like that and I couldn't and Pedroya didn't know me from the you know from anyone but he knew my brother and so he had it was it was just like we all got photos with him it was it was um, it was nuts. It was nu- we ended up after we went to the game. kona got thrown out of the game for arguing balls and strikes, which was amazing. <laughs> and the game's over. The Red Sox lost, sadly, but we ended up. We dropped off with my brother at his hotel. He was flying up the next morning, and I went back to Tewksbury, where my dad lives. And we were just sitting in his kitchen. We were drinking some whiskey, and we were just kind of just like pondering, like we couldn't believe we couldn't believe that we we're just, we're let into this magical inner sanctum in Fenway Park, a place that you only dream about and read about. And where are these like immortal humans live and breathe and prepare. And he was, we were just kind of, I was like, can you believe that? And he's like, I can't, I can't believe Pedroya knew who Rob was. And it just, it, it, he's you know, still
1: like, it's first of all, that's an awesome story. And, and I think that, you know, if you take all of it, like, like you're talking about your conversation with Sean Penn about Marlon Brando. And I'm thinking like, that's the equivalent of what you're talking about, of like talking with Pedroia and Francona. That's why I find this so fascinating. But you also mentioned the feeling that you have when you get in the inner sanctum of a baseball stadium in, or a clubhouse or something like that, I remember, Nate, when I was interning at Nesson, stepping on the field for the first time, and I don't know what it was. It was like – and I'm not usually like this. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And I am started thinking about it. I'm thinking, yeah, because that's what I watched on TV. Like, and now I'm actually stepping on it, right? And so – there's that dynamic, uh, and and I'm going to come back to sort of the the glorious game of baseballs and boring and all that stuff. You know, I told you that we're doing this or we did this book with Joe Kelly, and the whole premise is it's a per- damn near perfect game reclaiming America's pastime. And and you know, it's partly Joe talking about what's right and ro- what's wrong and what's great about baseball, but he interviews people along the way, and so he interviews like Rob Lowe and. Mark Hoppus of Blink One Eighty Two and all these people, and there's so many different avenues to baseball, but there's also there's a lot of similarities about walking into a ball. I mean, I John Hamm we, I saw at the All Star game. I asked him the same thing, same answer. Andy Cohen, same answer. What do you remember? I remember walking into the ballpark for the first time, right? And I remember how everything was so green and I remember how the uniforms were whiter than I could ever imagine like uniforms could be or clothing could be and like I remember that and so all the stuff that you're talking about like I think that any of that's at a different level but this is what this is the common thread right it's crazy
2: absolutely I and I my I walked up. I remember the concourse that I walked up, and every time I go back to Fenway to see a game, I always try to walk up the same concourse that I walked up when I was a you know eight year old boy, and my dad took me and my brother, my sister, my mom all to a game against the Brewers. This is in 1985 or something, and um, and I remember seeing uh, the Green Monster, of course, because I was facing. I was on the first base side, so I was facing left field. The, the 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 white of the jerseys. But for me, it was, and I guess this is the sense that is so tied to your past is smell. And for me, it was the smell. It was the fresh cut. It was fresh cut grass, dirt, and a combination, no joke, of urine and cigar smoke. And this is, again, this is in 1985 where you could smoke, you know, people were smoking cigars and cigarettes like every fucking seat. It was insane. It all comes but back to the I, cross, by the way, doesn't it? It all comes back. To it the always cross. does. My first—I've never been more terrified. That was the first real, horrifying moment I had with seeing another human human's body, <laughs> and, and you know, because I was about—I was waist high, and I'm next to my dad. I'm like, I'm not going up there by myself. I and he didn't have to go. He's like, all right, I'll take you up there. And I, you know, you look to your right, and it's you know, it's a dozen. Just hanging, you know, all shapes and sizes. It's a terrifying, the human body is, is a horrifying thing to see up close for the first time as a child. You know what I'm saying, Rob? Yes, well, the uh, glorious,
1: listen, the glorious game of baseball uh, is uh, basically morphs, morphs itself into life in so many
2: ways. It it's the fabric of our lives. It's hey, not cotton. It's baseball. It's baseball.
1: Thank you, Urinals. Uh Thank you, tribes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just I, so when you were talking about meeting those guys and 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 being there and like you sell the bottle of cigars and urine and and everything, I mean that's that's what base that's what it is, man. Like and it's so weird because you know we talked about and this sort of comes back to the conversations that we've had with about baseball. And I talked Tito, like we interviewed Tito for the book, and and I, I covered Tito, but it was great to. This a couple months ago to sit down and ask him, and he said he said the same thing a lot of everybody else said. Everyone's got to slow down and just appreciate what's going on. And one thing, Nate, is that so Joe interviews Manfred, and Manfred said something that I hadn't really been thought about, but we brought it up on the podcast a few times, which is baseball is the best game to go to. And you think about it, he's right. I mean, this isn't yeah. spin. Like he's right because you go to a, a basketball game, a hockey game. It's it's constant action. Like it's a social event to go to a baseball game. You talk, you talk, you analyze. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait! Someone just hit a home run. There you go. I don't know if you agree or not.
2: I completely agree. I I, I have no interest in going to NFL games because the television product is just don't so best. good. Yeah. There's no there's no need to go to an NFL game. Um, I'm not a huge NBA fan and, uh, there's just, I, it's, I, I don't know. I, the experience of going, if you're sitting close, I guess it could be fun, but there's the, the problem is that there's a clock. The clock is in, in charge and baseball. There's no clock. And I think that, that changes the whole scenario. And also every stadium is different. Every, every basketball or hockey stadium you go into, you have to follow these same parameters. And there's nothing charming about the stadium. Maybe one or two or three are charming in their presentation. But that's, that's the magic of baseball. That's why you go to parks in, in Pittsburgh and Chicago and, you know, Denver and, 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 uh, in San Francisco and Seattle. You go to these parks because the parks are, are, um, to find the word like th- th- they're their own experience just experiencing sure. the park like I remember f- the first time realizing that not every stadium looked like Fenway and how that how that applies to the game I remember I, that blew my mind um but it is it, part of part of going to a baseball game is is the communal aspect it is slow it there's 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 all this wonderful tension though because there's so much that doesn't happen between plays, but the buildup of tension, the anticipation of what is going to happen when the pitch is thrown, is the runner going to to steal? Is he, is is this a, is a hit and is this a hit and run? Is the guy in the bullpen ready to come in? Is this does he have? It's a one and two pitch. Like what is he going to throw here? Because he just threw two fastballs in a row. If you're really paying attention. You can nerd out on every moment, which brings me to one of the best baseball books ever written, which is Nine Innings. Oh, if yeah! You haven't read, sure. Um, Dan Okrant or Ocrant? Yeah, Okrant. Yeah, I, yeah. It's an incredible book about it's. He analyzes. He chooses one game, and he analyzes every moment in every pitch in the game, and draws out each chapter. I think is an inning or or a, a half inning. It's an inning. Yeah. Um, and he goes into the minutia of every single moment and every step and every. So, if you really pay attention, you can get lost in it. But there's something really fun about being bored for a second, about relaxing, being passive, eating a hot dog, drinking a beer, I- enjoying being outside in the spring, especially if you've suffered through a winter.
1: Yeah, soaking in the urine and the cigar smell. Is...
2: Exactly. <laughs> Nothing brings it back. But it's, exactly
1: you're so right. you're, you're so right. In in I that's a great book, and I do so. And I appreciate your time. I don't know, you know, I, we spent a lot of time here, and I really appreciate it. Um, but I do. You had mentioned uh, in our communication about uh, that you're getting your master's in uh, in English. In English, yeah. And 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 wanted to talk a little bit about the baseball book dynamic. And like you just mentioned one. Um, and I guess you know, you know, look at that. Look at that. There's a big stack of. Ba- I don't I see. Them. See, here's the thing, though, Nate. I don't see Chasing Steinbrenner or Deep Drive, the Mike Lowell story. So that means those are the two books that I wrote before this one.
2: I'm so sorry.
1: No, uh... no. no, What that tells me is that in the package, along with the koozie in the T-shirt, another T-shirt will be those books, along with A Damn Near Perfect Game, March 14th. So um, do you want to – so you're getting your master's – would you want to write a baseball, like, would you want to write something like that? Would you want to write a baseball book?
2: I don't think so. I, I don't think my, my talents lie in writing. I, I, I'm getting the master's because I'm really beyond sports reading and, you know, sort of like analysis of literature is really, really fun. I, I, it was something that I hungered to do and I didn't have an outlet for beyond like book clubs with my friends. And I found some classes online and got serious about it and, and during the pandemic, when I wasn't working, I sort of applied and was like, "All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this for real." Um, so I don't think I don't think my future is in writing a book. Maybe if I would write a book, it, it it would probably be about like the life of like a character actor, you know. And and that that book has been written a thousand times, but maybe I could bring something new to it. But I don't think I know enough about the uh, ins and outs of baseball to write a book. Well, about I mean, baseball. I think that
1: this is a great thing about it is that you know, I think that you, your stories that you've already told in this conversation, that's the book, like that's the book, you know, and then, you know, and and of course it's the marketing and everything else. And the publishing world is a whole nother podcast, but it's, um, by what would you be your, I love power ranking your top three baseball books.
2: Well, I brought, I brought my, my, the hard copies that I have here in my house. I bought Brought along six of my favorites. Okay, um, and if I was going to have to choose the top three, well, you can do six. As, I'll do six really quickly, and these are in no particular order. Yeah. The Sandy Koufax bio um, that Jane Levy wrote is is incredible, mm. um, and I, I I immediately became obsessed with Sandy Koufax and like wanted a Koufax jersey and a signed Koufax picture. And I'm fascinated by him and his entire story. It's it's an incredible biography. Nine innings, of course. If you're if you are hardcore baseball nut and want to get into every single moment and every pitch and every move and every step, this is the book to read. If you're a Red Sox fan, this is a great time to pick up a book about baseball, right? Cause the the, the Red Sox season of course is over mm-hmm. and the world Se- series is happening, but you want that fix. Sure. Um, the long ball is an incredible book about the 75 season yeah. and all the ins and outs and focusing on specifically the Red Sox, um, and a lot of great stories about that World Series, which is arguably the greatest World Series. David Halberstam, uh, rest in peace. Teammates, of course, is a, is a brilliant book, especially if you're a Red Sox fan. My favorite bo- baseball writer, um, besides Updike writing the piece about, um, about Ted Williams, Hub fans bid kid do, which I think is the single greatest piece of sports writing ever written in the New Yorker. Look that up, folks. Mm-hmm. Is uh, The Summer Game. We just lost Roger. Mm-hmm. Um, his takes on baseball and just being a human living on earth is, is he's a, a fantastic writer as far as fun. And this is not about um, the Red Sox. It's about our hated enemy. Um, Jonathan Mahler wrote the Bronx is burning, which is it's a, it's a book about oh, baseball.
1: It's is that is, is, was that the, uh, was that 70, the 78 or now?
2: This is 78. No, uh,
1: at uh, 77. seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. So so obviously the Bronx is burning. I remember um it was the ESPN show they did.
2: Yeah, that?
1: Not great. Not no, but, great. But here's let me tell you um, a story about that though. It was the that was responsible for the the strangest clubhouse I've ever seen. The Red Sox beat the Indians in Cleveland, and after the game, everyone was for whatever reason, glued to watching that on TV. Like, if there was 25 guys, 20 of them were sitting there, you know, not getting ready to leave this. It was dead quiet. I think jo- John Lester did his interview. And and whereas writers were like, huh, what? Wait, wait, what's?" And th- they're just watching this thing.
2: It was so bizarre. Wow. Well, they yeah. were just fascinated by how, yeah, it's, how Hollywood would tell their story, yeah. not their, but them as ballplayers and what. Right, and like. I think
1: it's I think it's like not to, you know. Listen, I think that there it was it was a sweet spot for them in terms of simplicity too. Right, that's a nice way of saying it was. You know, it's not next level stuff, but
2: yeah, yeah. it's not front line. No one's watching front line.
1: <laughs> There's not a lot of front
2: line in the, the clubhouse. No. Maybe Sean Doolittle. I don't know. I feel like he's a bookish. Coach yeah, there's,
1: there's, a, there's always a couple. There's always a couple. But before you go, I have to ask. This is for my own uh, edification. One of the greatest um, pieces of uh, of cinematic backdrop was in a movie you were in. It was the movie The Heat. Okay.
2: The painting on the wall. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Of course. Where can I get that? <laughs> that Paul Fee has that. Okay. Uh he has that. I I on the set. Can you describe it first of all? I don't I don't it's yeah, it's like <laughs> it's sort of like a velvet Elvis painting, but it is a it's a picture of Jesus Christ dressed in a Red Sox jersey hitting a home run <laughs> at Fenway Park. And it's so, it's so brilliant. And uh, the whole set, everyone on set, everyone in the family in that movie was from Massachusetts, besides Michael Rappaport. Uh, um, everyone around that table, Joe McIntyre, myself, Bill Burr, um, uh, Jamie Dembo, and Jessica Chaffin, um, and the parents as well, Jane Curtin, everyone was from Massachusetts. So the casting director, who was also from Massachusetts, Allison Jones, who's like the preeminent comedy film casting director, uh, I think she's from Norwell. She was very, very conscious of casting casting people who were from Boston and who understood that behavior. So we got on set, and that that house that we shot in was a house, just like an abandoned house in Dorchester, and. <laughs> we started, it was like, oh, we have to, how do we get this? How do we get this? And Paul was like, no, it's mine. I already called it. Forget about it. You're not taking this home. This is too. But they, you know, like they hired a couple of artists, um, scenic designers, whose job it is to walk into a room a week, two weeks, a month before the cameras and the actors show up and to dress it, to set dress this room so it's appropriate. And they spend hours and hours and hours. And... I don't know whose idea it was, but probably Katie Dippold, who wrote the movie, was probably her idea. It's like this family is maniacs. How do we? Oh, well, they should have, you know, and they're obviously like practicing Catholics, and they're Irish Catholic, and so we should have use of Christ as Larry Burns and Williams on the wall. But we were like fighting to take those home, and Paul, Paul called them sadly. Uh,
1: listen, I honestly, I I tell people this. I said, it's one of my favorite scenes. If that's remotely, if you're scrolling through, what are the options on TV? If the heat's on, so I'll, first of all, I'll click on it. And then I like the movie, but I'll fast forward to that scene. It is one of my favorite. It just hits a sweet spot for me. Are you or are you not a
2: knock? Uh, most of that scene was improvised. He set up, He's really smart. He gave us, there was a rough idea of the scene, but we and we did like one take of what was written and then he set up cameras really wide in the room so he could capture all of us if anyone said anything he'd have it and uh Sandy Bullock had to sit there like a fucking champ all day for 10 hours and just have us like confuse her gender say that she was ugly say that she was stupid and had like she just had to sit there and take it And uh, she was such a champ. It was it was so much fun uh, shooting that scene because it was all we basically just all all completely improvised, and it was a table full of comedians and improvisers. Uh, So
1: it's so good, so good. Hey, listen, um, there's nobody I'd rather have represent our baseball and boring brand than you in whatever way you can represent it. So uh, it's been a blast, man. It really has been a lot of fun. I could talk to you about four hours about all the stuff. And, and maybe we can do a whole book segment another time. I would like to do that. So.
2: Yeah. Next time I'll, I'll come prepare and we'll do a little book club on, on baseball books. I like that. Play,
1: also book club editor, baseballs and boring brand. Excellent. Okay. That's going to cost
2: you. The, That's the, another, another koozie. <laughs> exactly. That's three more koozies. Uh, all right. all it's right, been a man. pleasure, Rob. Thank you. Thanks man.
0: This episode is brought to you by progressive insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,